for the government to say it's all right for um, some lenders or some companies to default on their loans, to go out of business, to maybe not be bailed out by the government, because that's part of the reform process and part of turning China into a more modern economy. Um, now, understandably, a lot of people are going to be frustrated by that, and, and they may you know, lose a fair amount of money. Um, and it does point to some underlying weakness in some areas. But I almost see it as a, you know, kind of a, a growing up process for the economy, if anything. Ben, thanks very much indeed. That's Ben Cavender, Principal at the China Market Research Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Just a reminder that Japanese markets are closed this morning for a public holiday, but they are open down in Sydney, and the ASX 200 is up half a percent, and they will be opening here in Hong Kong in about an hour's time as well. Futures markets there indicating that the Hang Seng will probably add about 100 points at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil a little bit firmer in Asian trading now at $45.13 a barrel. Uh, and gold is also rising uh, $1 or $2 as well. It's up one, at $1,873 an ounce. Please stay tuned to Radio 3 for back chats with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse in just one moment. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches in the morning, sunny periods in the afternoon, maximum temperature of around 25 degrees. The outlook mainly fine in the next few days and it will be dry during the day and slightly cooler in the morning and at night. The temperature right now 23 degrees, 83% relative humidity and there is still a strong monsoon signal in force. It's 8.31 and a half. Here's Pierre Tremblay with a half-hour news. The head of the U.S. government's coronavirus vaccine program says the first immunizations could start as early as December 11th. Dr. Monsef Slawi said two vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna could be officially approved by then and swiftly shipped out. And he estimated that life in the U.S. could return to normal by May next year. But the top U.S. infection disease official, Dr. Anthony Fauci, said that would depend on the number of people who receive the vaccine. There are a couple of things that go into the effectiveness of a vaccine program, a highly efficacious vaccine. And we're there. We have two of them that have a 95 percent efficacy. The other part of the equation is how many people get vaccinated. So if you have a highly efficacious vaccine and only a relatively small 40, 50 percent of the people get vaccinated, you're not going to get the herd immunity you need. Hong Kong saw its highest daily COVID-19 tally in over three months yesterday with the Center for Health Protection reporting 68 new cases. 46 are linked to a cluster involving dance studios. The government has said anyone who has been to one of the 14 venues must take a test by tomorrow or face a fine. Testing centers will increase quotas and extend operating hours if necessary to cope with the compulsory testing of those linked to the cluster. In a statement, the government said anyone who had been to any of the premises concerned could pick up a saliva specimen pack from an outpatient clinic, go to a community testing center, or arrange for a private test. Leaders of the world's biggest economic powers have promised to ensure the affordable and fair distribution of coronavirus vaccines so that poorer country are countries aren't left out. In a closing statement from the G20 summit hosted by Saudi Arabia, the leaders also committed to support nations hit hardest by the pandemic, but gave few details. The German Chancellor Angela Merkel said this concerned her. We will speak with the Global Vaccine Alliance Group about when the negotiations are actually due to start, since I'm a bit concerned that nothing's been done yet. It is not enough just to have money in the bank. Something needs to actually be done for the developing countries. 
The sister of one of the 12 Hong Kongers detained in Shenzhen after allegedly trying to flee by boat to Taiwan says she's received a letter from her brother telling her to stop whatever she's doing. The letter, said to be written by Andy Lee, says he's doing fine and that he hasn't been bullied or beaten. In the letter, written in colloquial Cantonese, Mr. Lee also said he'd done some soul-searching and could now see the situation clearly, saying there's no future in carrying on. The letter was published on a Twitter account set up by his sister. She claims the content clearly indicates that it was written against her brother's will. Mr. Lee was arrested by the police in August on suspicion of violating the national security law. Next news at 9. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivert and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today, the latest on COVID-19. Hong Kong recorded 68 new confirmed cases yesterday, the highest total in more than three months. And health authorities warned that bringing the upsurge under control would be very difficult. The government said anyone who'd been to one of the premises connected to that cluster at a dance studio must get a test. The first time it's used its powers to order the member of the public to undergo tests. The next person warned we could see as many as 200 infections a day three weeks from now, saying the SER has no choice but to impose stringent social distancing measures. And Sophia Chan says the government will begin giving one-off $5,000 handouts to anyone who tests positive. What should we make of the latest developments? Will that mandatory testing and the subsidy help? What about kindergartens and or schools? Should they be closing? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us. The number is 233-88266. And, of course, you can put a question uh, to our experts uh, as well that uh, will be joining us in the course of the uh, program. We're starting off with Dr. Arasina Ma, President of the Hong Kong Public Doctors Association, and uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. As I say, if you've got a question for them, but your best bet is to uh, call us on 233-88266. Sometimes uh, emails are delayed by our system and then we get to them too late. So, as I say, if you want to talk to them, uh, they're here to uh, answer your questions. Uh, OK, a couple of comments uh, on Facebook. Uh, Victoria Ann says, The reality is humans need to socialise, and you shut down the bars, there will be dance halls. You shut down these down, and people have parties at home. At the height of their lockdown, Singapore set requirements for gatherings up to five and no home gatherings, then relaxed to eight for gatherings, five for households. My neighbour, for instance, I've been having parties every two weeks, non-stop since this started. And each time we're talking about up to 40 people in and out of our building. The government really needs to put on their thinking cap and paying, say, taxi drivers $5,000 for having COVID? Question mark, question mark, question mark. That uh, comes from uh, Victoria Ann. Uh, yeah, if you want to comment, backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, good morning, Professor Cowling. Let's good start morning. with you. Um, Ben, I, I got a couple of questions all related to the uh, issue of mortality rate. Now, I was reading uh, just over the weekend a study, someone who'd put together all the studies from all the countries around the world that had been published and estimated the mortality rate from COVID at just under 0.3%, um, which is three times more than seasonal flu, I think. Have, have you done similar assessments? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we published some estimates similar to 0.3% quite early on, I think back in March or April. I remember uh, you did, not, yes. It's not three times more than seasonal flu, though. It's about 30 times more than seasonal flu. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. Well, that is, that is serious. The other thing, it, um, 
triggered by a message that I saw recently. The government is cancelling a lot of routine appointments for other things um, because of the stress on the service of COVID. For example, all dental appointments have been postponed by one year. Um, and this triggered a, a thought, which I got from, I must admit, I stole from Private Eye magazine in the UK, that the focus is on the people we're losing death-wise for COVID tend to be quite old. In fact, the estimate there was a sort of 82 years of age, whereas other deaths, excess deaths from other causes, are below 65. Have we, have we looked at these relativities? Uh, no, it's a really good point. And actually, I, I, I know a professor in London School of Hygiene, Tropical Medicine in the UK, who just sadly passed away from, from cancer, whose appointment to, for surgery to take the cancer out was delayed by a few months. And that was uh, really unfortunate because then by the time they did the surgery, the cancer had progressed. So I know that the, the impact of COVID is, you know, has, has an effect on a lot of different things, sorry. And... Uh, Delayed appointments, delayed screening for cancer, right. uh, knock-on effects on people with other conditions. All of this is, is really, really unfortunate. And we've got to find ways to minimize it. At the same time, there's a reason those appointments are postponed because we have seen uh, a need for more capacity to deal with COVID. Uh, I think, again, maybe we're going to need to use Asia Expo as a field hospital uh, within the next few weeks in right. Hong Kong. And... Uh, I think it's going to be important to get those appointments back on track. I'm not sure why dental appointments should be postponed for a year. Maybe, you know, that's, that's a bit over the top. But um, I, other, I understand other, when there's a lot of COVID about, right. we do need to, to free up capacity. And, you, and, uh, uh, yeah, you, mentioned can, you mentioned cancer. Other, other illnesses, um, heart disease and miscarriages even, that people are not, uh, not getting sort of routine... Uh, inspections, testing, uh, as they should have. Yeah, that's right. There's also, of course, an enormous mental health impact of the pandemic in Hong Kong and elsewhere, where people are stuck at home, uh, missing the social connections. As one of your, your correspondents mentioned, yes. they, people like to meet their friends in bars and like to visit other people's homes. And, and when we have a lot of social distancing measures, people can't do that. And we know there's an impact. So we know that COVID has a wide-ranging impact on a lot of different things. Um, it, it's really, you know, really difficult to deal with. All right. Dr. Ma, good morning. Good morning. Dr. Ma, what do you think of these uh, sort of people dying of other things because of the focus on COVID? Are you seeing... I, th <clears throat> I think, um, yes, you're right. Um, we see some similar situations in the hospital as well. Uh, maybe because of the service, most of our attention or resources are... are drifted to the pandemic. There's also some um, uh, patient factor. For example, our patients are like to, likely to be uh, presented quite late or visited the emergency room late uh, in the COVID uh, or in the pandemic because they get they worry that they may get infected. When they want, uh, when they arrive, actually they become quite ill and maybe sometimes uh, cannot be saved uh, because they present quite late. And also, as you said, um, some of our routine non-emergent uh, service has been postponed or even withhold. Um, 
even um, you may your death may not caused by the uh, the pandemic or uh, or uh, the death, but uh, your quality of care uh, is affected as well. Uh, for example, I uh, recently read up articles um, about um, some uh, mental health services or some palliative care services, which uh, for some um, uh, for some policymakers think that those services are uh, are, are more um, able to be. Uh, before or disposed, um, they are mostly affected uh, during the pandemic. Right. Oh, sorry, lots of things going on in the studio. Um, Professor Cowling, I want to come back to this point. Do we put too much emphasis on the number of infections and too little on the number of deaths? Professor Cowling? Hello, first In our survey, we had about 100 deaths, um, and that was only with probably 4,000 confirmed cases. The concern is in Hong Kong, uh, we can't easily shield vulnerable people. So you mentioned that the average age of death could be 82. Uh, actually, almost all of the deaths in the third wave were in vulnerable people and elderly. Uh, but we can't shield them very well. So if we were to have thousands or even tens of thousands of infections in Hong Kong, there'd be a lot of infections in vulnerable people and then a lot of deaths and we don't want to see that. So that's why we have to take measures even when we have relatively low numbers of cases uh, because otherwise we recognise that there will be a lot of hospitalizations, and then a few weeks later quite a large number of deaths. So we, we have the situation now where we've got a sort of carrot and stick uh, developing with the compulsory testing uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand this uh, subsidy for people who do test positive. What do you think about that as an approach? And Is it done elsewhere like that? Uh, not so much done elsewhere, but I, I think it's a reasonable idea. So we've got two basic strategies for controlling COVID in Hong Kong for slowing down transmission. One is the targeted approach to, to find people who are infected, to stop them from spreading it, and to get ahead of the virus by doing contact tracing and quarantine. That's targeted. And we also have the broad community measures, non-specific, to stop people from spreading, even if we don't know who they are, we don't know who's infected. And those are the things like work at home, closing bars, nightclubs, karaoke's. What we found in the second wave and the third wave was that the targeted approach wasn't enough. The test and trace wasn't enough. We still had increasing number of cases week on week. And I think we're going to find in the third wave, sorry, in the fourth wave now, that test and trace is not quite enough. We're going to need to do some social distancing as well. But if we can do more of the targeted approach, maybe we can get by with less social distancing, which disrupts everybody's lives. So we'll do more disruption to the small number of people who we can identify as infected to have less disruption for everybody else. Dr. Ma, do, what do you think of those two developments, the compulsory testing and the subsidy? Um, first of all, um, uh, I think compulsory testing for those um, confirmed uh, high-risk group uh, or those groups that have uh, been contacted with the confirmed cases actually is quite important for control this, um, the, the spreading of the disease, for example, like the dancing on ballroom group this time. Um, but another issue is about confirmed test, uh, compulsory testing for those with mild symptoms and visit their uh, private practitioner without um, definite contact with those confirmed cases. Actually, this is quite a controversial approach, um, especially for um, our private uh, colleagues. Uh, um, they may find uh, quite difficult to uh, perform it um, 
Yes, and although the government tried to um, give a more detailed um, uh, instruction how to perform it and uh, 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 um, assist our um, general petitioner, but we still worry that, um, first of all, um, it will damage the doctor-patient relationship. Secondly, uh, it, this may make some people who have very mild symptoms, they uh, prefer to stay home rather than seek for medical attention. Why would they prefer to stay home? Um, for example, um, um, actually, um, um, they may think that um, they uh, uh, don't have the disease, but they just have some very mild, for example, running nose and cough. But they worry that they may be uh, asked to uh, be tested by the doctors. And they may even forced to do so under the new uh, law for the compulsory testing. So they think that they may just keep and stay wait at home and, and see the condition. Sometimes they may be right, they are not infected, they are not serious, but sometimes they may be wrong. Right. Well, I mean, this is the flu season, isn't it? This is a time of mm. year when almost everyone gets a cold for a few yeah. days. Um, compulsory testing against that background could be almost everybody. You're right. Um, I'll be honest, um, uh, the symptom for COVID is so similar to any upper respiratory tract infection or even to um, allergic rhinitis. For example, you lost your smell or runny nose. So it's really difficult to, to, to identify whether you have COVID or uh, allergy or um, a simple upper respiratory tract infection. So I think um, contact history and also um, occupation history, travel history is still very important. Right. What about we closing P1 to P3 in schools? Is that is that right? Should we have done that or should we extend it? Um, actually, this is another uh, difficult question. Uh, you know that in many Western countries, they are now they doing the lockdown, but uh, they keep the school going on. Um, we don't know whether keep the school going on uh, uh, will affect that uh, they control or not. We need to see the the, the result and so. But one of the reasons why we uh, uh, closed the school in Hong Kong is that uh, last week there are many uh, primary schools uh, uh, in kindergarten. They have an outbreak of other upper respiratory uh, infection. So maybe the government tried to stop both at the same time. Professor Cowling? Are we yeah, right? So, right. There were a lot of kids getting common colds, which we know a, a, child, a young child on, t on average will get five to ten common colds a year. Uh, this is the first time in the world I'm aware of a, of a city deciding to close all of its kindergartens or, or years of primary schools to prevent children from getting common colds because you get five or ten a year. Um, but I understand the rationale was to make sure we can ensure we have enough testing capacity for COVID because if we spend all of our testing capacity testing young kids with common cold, even though they don't have COVID, if we're testing them anyway for COVID, then maybe we don't have enough tests to do the taxi drivers and the other high-risk groups that the government really wants to do. So I, I can kind of understand the rationale, but it's very disruptive for a lot of parents with young children who now have to figure out how to look after them. Uh, again, uh, and these kids haven't been in, in kindergarten for most of the last year. OK, uh, we've had an, uh, an email, this is from Paisley, who says, can the doctor, so I guess that's Dr Ma, uh, shed any light on the average age of the cluster of COVID cases related to the 14 dance clubs? It would appear there are a number of elderly women among them. Do you know anything about that, Dr Ma? Um, actually, I read it from the news as mm. well. It seems that there are, uh, among those 
sense group. There are quite a large number of ladies are the retired ones. There are some things around 60-something to maybe early 70s. Um, since their health is not too bad because they're energetic and eternal sort of um, social and leisure activities. But yes, um, there will be, but um, uh, from one point, they seem to be an uh, age group, so they are a bit high, higher risk for um, uh, uh, a bad outcome, but uh, on the other hand, um, in the previous study, men seems to be have a, a worse outcome for the COVID infection. But look and see whether uh, this group of patients, um, whether they will be quite uh, severe or they just only have the mild infection. Mm-hmm. When, when it comes to resources, Dr. Ma, uh, we've been hearing uh, uh, experts talking about the possibility of 200 infections a day in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, c- can we cope with that? Can they? public health system cope with that? Uh, actually, um, I think the situation maybe is a bit better um, compared with the beginning of the third wave because we already got the experience in third wave. Uh, our uh, Asia um, Expo Center uh, will be ready um, early this week. Um, it will be open soon. So unlike last time, uh, we won't let large number of um, mild or asymptomatic um, confirmed cases uh, uh, stuck in our hospital. Uh, we'll uh, let them uh, stay in the Asia Expo Center. And if we have many theory, um, uh, uh, um, cases that need more medical attention, um, there is going to there is there is, there is, there, is, there, uh, there will be the um, a temporary hospital uh, which uh, built uh, next to the Asia Expo Center and uh, may be ready um, uh, in the first quarter of this year as well. Mm. Professor Cowling, I've got to say again. Um where do these cases, how does this wave arise? I thought we were doing very well. We had almost no cases. Uh, we have the borders pretty tightly controlled. Uh, we have people observing good hygiene. Everyone's wearing a mask pr- pretty much all the time. How do you, these leaks occur? Uh, so back in March and again in July, everybody was wearing masks and we still had a second wave and a third wave. Um, in the past month, we've seen quite a number of unlinked cases coming up from time to time, not a lot. But if you remember the mass testing exercise we did back in September, that told us that we're not picking up every single infection, we're not confirming every single infection. Probably there's three or four times as many infections as there are cases. So when we've been seeing those unlinked cases come up from time to time, it was a warning sign. And because we weren't doing much social distancing, I'm not that surprised that we're now seeing a resurgence. I'm actually uh, surprised, a little bit surprised it wasn't earlier because we've been not doing much social distancing for for two or three months now. Mm. Um, I think probably the fourth wave began two, three, four weeks ago, slowly spreading, and now we're seeing the consequences of that. Now there's a super spreading event with the dance clubs. Um, But I'm sure there's been other infections we haven't picked up. The key things here seem to be indoors and close proximity. And I'm looking at bars, and I don't want to get start a fight or something in... Uh, Lang Kwai Fong, but that seems to me an, an obvious uh, weak spot. And also these dance classes, because they're they're not sort of separated out like they might be uh, doing some uh, yoga or something. They they're close up together. They're dancing as couples. Yeah, that's right. And, and the, the Japanese had this sorted out months and months ago, probably back in March or April. The three seats, closed spaces, crowded places, and close contact settings. Prolonged close contact with cases is the greatest risk factor for infection, and that's indoors. So bars are high risk. I'm worried that there might have already been super spreading events in bars that we haven't yet discovered, 
because, you know, the incubation period is a week. So there could have been infections occurring that we don't yet know about. We're only going to discover in the next one or two weeks. And I think we've seen in the third wave and the second wave that bars, gyms, karaoke's, all those places with crowded indoor areas are really high risk for transmission. And that's got to be a focus now um, for the government. If I look back, we seem to be Halloween seems to fit the bill. Could, uh, could Thanksgiving be the next one? Uh, Thanksgiving in Hong Kong is not, not as big as it is elsewhere you know, in, in the U.S. But you're right, I think Halloween parties, there, there could have been transmission occurring there, which we haven't yet discovered. That was three weeks ago. Um, we know there's always a lag between when infections occur and then when we eventually pick them up. Uh, people infected in the past few days won't yet have shown symptoms, won't yet have gone to be tested. So I am concerned about the predictions that there could be quite a lot more cases coming up in the next one or two weeks. And if the government acts swiftly, probably the fourth wave won't won't be too big. But if the government takes a week or two to decide what to do in terms of strengthening social distancing measures, then uh, the fourth wave is going to exceed the third wave in terms of the size. All right, some, some comments from uh, listeners. Uh, Jay okay. says, we are not getting the full story here, are we? Ever since the public started wearing masks, the number of people who are catching colds and flu, especially elderly, have gone down. It went down in the SAT, so I presume it's gone down now. Was the dance class wearing masks uh, or not? That comes from uh, Jay. And Paul Zimmerman says, how about the positive impacts of COVID measures and community actions on public health? fewer flu patients, general fitness level up with people exercising who did not before. The $5,000 was first proposed by David Webb to encourage day earners to come forward instead of hide and good to see it implemented. Funny how some in society have devilish minds seeing opportunities for abuse. The long-term damage of COVID has been well publicised. Moreover, where would you go to get it with so few cases uh, around? And uh, Bernadette says, is my lady Carrie Lamb suggesting that all senior citizens hook or by crook get infected with COVID to receive $5,000, which is not enough for medications. How stupid can the person who suggested this be? I'm 73, I intend to not get infected. Hong Kong government officials are going bonkers. The first thing you need is to stop all visitors, even the Politburo members in China, arriving without being sent into quarantine. Carrie Lam must have brought back infections when she visited the mainland too. Well, well, well. Hong Kong government officials are finally showing their true colours. They don't care about the citizens of Hong Kong. That comes uh, from, from uh, Bernadette. Um, uh, is there a possibility that this $5,000... I mean, uh, not necessarily that people will, will get infected so that they will get the $5,000, but some people have been saying, for example, that it seems to be rewarding the people who who take risks um, that um, uh, it, like in these dance schools some people maybe took more measures and they are not getting the five thousand dollars and the people who as i say were more careless uh, or took, may ris had risky behavior are getting the money uh, aracina ma Yes, um, um, the timing of, of our government uh, release this uh, new measures really give the impression that it's just we're trying to get uh, let those um, uh, dancer with uh, these benefits. And in fact, I, I agree that uh, some COVID patients, especially the elderly, the uh, family uh, with those uh, uh, in the um, working class, uh, they have. Um, 
be uh, quite largely affected by the COVID, also the elderly in the elderly home. So they should get some compensation. But um, when the government releases it um, uh, uh, during this period of time, people think that uh, they're trying to give money to those uh, infected dancers. And also, I hope that um, these measures will only not only for the uh, confirmed cases coming in the future, it also can they can pay it back to some of the patients who have already passed away or recovered. And and Din says, I seem to recall that the government refused to test all care home inmates and staff yes. during the third wave. Is this still the attitude? Is that true? Is that still um, the government actually uh, they promote testing all the staff in the elderly home uh, because the staff can take their own sample or uh, collect their own saliva. But they really uh, hold back about testing the uh, elderly uh, inmates of the res- uh, residential home because they think that um, most of them cannot do the defrost saliva. And if they send quite a large number of healthcare staff uh, to take the nasal swab for them, uh, it may be a problem. So uh, I have not heard any uh, measures and uh, this now about a uh, 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 widely test all the inmates of residential home. But if uh, nowadays, if anyone co- go into the hospital for uh, whatever reason, we'll test them once at least. So uh, we hope that these measures will help uh, to control uh, the, the, the spreading in the residential home. Because quite okay. many elderly uh, are quite well and they uh, visit the hospital time to time. Sure. Well, and one quick question for Professor Cowling, finally. Uh, this is from Matthew, who says, I heard Professor Cowling say on Michael Chigani's programme there were no recorded cases from outdoor transmission back in July. Can he please clarify if this is still the case and if the statistic is for Hong Kong or globally? Oh, this is true globally. As my, my, to my knowledge, really, COVID doesn't easily spread outdoors. Like if you were in a really big queue of people, maybe in a, a semi-enclosed area, then there might still be a risk. But truly outdoors, with the sun shining, the wind blowing, really not a place that COVID spreads. Uh, it just, just doesn't happen outdoors. It happens indoors in crowded locations with prolonged close contact. If I just, just comment very briefly on the $5,000, um, I think we, we recognize that in the third wave, a lot of people that were infected, a lot of cases in Hong Kong, were in people who weren't able to work at home. It was in the service sector, taxi drivers, restaurant workers, and so on. And a, a lot of people in the service sector really have to work to earn their okay. living. And so there's a reluctance among some to get tested, because if they test positive, then they're going to be out of work for okay. a week or two weeks. Understood. Okay, well, Professor Cowling, thank you very much indeed for joining us, and thanks to Arasina Ma. We'll continue after the news at nine. Rouse and Mihu Chuitan. We're talking about aspects of uh, COVID uh, in Hong Kong with those uh, new measures being uh, introduced and warnings of uh, a fourth wave uh, gathering with 68 new cases uh, recorded yesterday, the highest in more than um, three months. We were talking in the first part of the programme to Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong and Dr Arasina Ma, President of the Public Doctors Association. We're joined now by Dr Alvin Chan, he's a paediatrician and a council member of the Hong Kong Medical Association. We're going to be joined later by Jennifer Lee, who's an ESF parent who's concerned about the closure of uh, kindergartens. If you've got any thoughts on school closures, uh, you might want to join in the discussion 
information then our number is 233-88266 you can email backchat at rthk.hk or you can comment on our facebook page that's backchat and rthk radio 3 got quite a few uh, comments some of which some of the emails came in a little bit late to get to our guests unfortunately um, for the first part of the programme. Uh, but uh, let's see what we've got. Uh, George says, Dear Backchat, the whole premise of locking down the economy and removing the personal freedoms of the citizens of Hong Kong are to protect the population, especially those who are vulnerable. The big problem is how this virus keeps coming back. I can give you a reasonable answer. Just ask anyone who's gone through our fantastic quarantine procedures after arriving in Hong Kong. At the airport, everyone is socially distanced, have to sit around for hours waiting the results. Then after that, the entire group are packed into buses like sardines to head off to stay overnight in a government-sanctioned hotel. Once arriving there, everyone stands in a tightly packed line to check in. The following morning, everyone who gets their green light at pretty much the same time then takes full elevators down to the lobby to check out in long lines, again tightly packed. After that, you have the luxury to stand in another line to take a taxi to your chosen hotel to spend your 14-day quarantine. As you can see, there are many chances for the virus to spread in this system. It's rather shocking no one, especially all these so-called experts who have not red-flagged the current procedure of returning Hong Kong citizens from COVID hotspots around the world. The system is clearly not working as it is, and everyone here in Hong Kong is paying a heavy price due to the constant incompetence of those in charge. That comes uh, from uh, George. Uh, Jacob says, I read this morning that the US and parts of Europe will begin with their vaccination programs in December. What do we know about the plans of the Hong Kong government? We'll get to the vaccination question maybe just a little bit later. Uh, Leon says, some high-profile bar owners and restaurants were gloating on your radio station about the surge in revenues during the Halloween weekend. At the time, I felt their comments were crass and would turn around and bite them, and so it has transpired. Numerous venues have been ignoring government-imposed social distancing rules as evidenced by numerous media photos of packed bars government should come down hard on these rule breakers and remove their alcohol licenses for constant breaches that comes uh, from uh, Leon and uh, on Facebook another comment from uh, Victoria who, who says concerning the host question about how the virus was imported now that the borders closed it isn't we have sex workers illegally smuggled into Hong Kong and the government can't even ascertain the number of clients and who they are that's uh, from Victoria and once again uh, our number is 233-88266 you can email backchat at rthk.hk um, Dr Chan good morning to you yes good morning what, what about the vaccines do you, do you hear anything? Has the government communicated with the doctors at all about um, the possibility of a vaccine and how that might be distributed and so on? Well, no. Um, I think uh, all over the world, everybody is competing for the uh, first uh, lots of the uh, vaccines, uh, which were said to be available only after the third quarter of next year, the COVID-19 vaccines will not be sent to Hong Kong first uh, before they provide uh, to the, um, you know, the big countries. I think uh, in the past, even for the flu vaccines and uh, for the other vaccines, uh, say the pneumonia, pneumococcal vaccine, we used to get the supply for Hong Kong only the pharmaceuticals had satisfied the demands of those big countries. So we were usually left to mm. the second priority. Uh, I'm so sorry to say that is a fact before. Well, whether this time 
the Chinese government will provide theirs to Hong Kong earlier. I really don't know. I don't know what the Chinese government had talked to the Hong Kong government. Whenever the the vaccine arrives, it's not going to be enough for 7 million people on the first day, is it? It it would like to... Yeah, even if available on the first day, the logistic won't be able to satisfy everybody in the first week. You know, even for the testing program, we need to have 14 days to check 1.78 million people only in the universal community testing program, you remember. I do. So you need time to carry out the vaccinations. So I don't think we could do it uh, within one month. It would have to be priority, wouldn't it? 7.8 million, 7.3 million. Which categories of persons should have priority? That's the question. Well, obviously, obviously, it will be the elderly people, the carers, uh, health work, and aged home, old aged homes uh, workers. And then uh, I think uh, the taxi drivers the uh, catering industry and uh, all those markets, wet markets and supermarket workers. And then uh, I think they are teachers, uh, those working in the front line for customers. Well, but then almost uh, I think uh, uh, it's impossible to carry out all these things um, by priorities because Mm. some might complain that they were left out (laughs) and then uh, I think uh, but we that's not uh, really possible to carry out the vaccinations within a short period say a week so I I think we need not panic in fact I still think that uh, uh, of course the infection seems to be uh, very, very alarming now because it's an exponential rise of confirmed cases for the past three days from 20 to 40 to 60. Now we are expecting 100 uh, a couple of days later. So uh, now it is really uh, a fierce um, fourth wave coming. So I, I think now we, we have to... Uh, really be confident of ourselves to uh, have the stringent social distancing, to have the stringent universal masking, the correct way of handling our masks using the alcohol sanitizers. And uh, really, uh, we have to um, um, ask the government, please, really do a better job like uh, just now George and uh, you know <laughs> the few yeah. um, uh, what, what about? I, I, our audience had, uh, they had uh, given their very good advice to the government in fact this is just a reputation uh, of uh, what is the third wave in July and June you remember that at that time also uh, at the border they allowed the Filipino sailors coming into Hong Kong through the taxi drivers, and then they are exempted from testing and quarantine. Now it's the same thing. The Nepali and then uh, those uh, uh, council general workers, and then uh, those people perhaps dancing group with the Russian tutors, 
coming into Hong Kong, whether they are exempted again. And these people allowed to go into Hong Kong, and then even those coming from those heavily infected countries, they were allowed to take a taxi to anywhere. Uh, I, I think uh, that is really so problematic. I really think the government must be determined now that they have to send the uh, quarantined and uh, tested um, incoming uh, visitors or Hong Kong citizens to uh, designated hotels. What, what, what about those? Designated tour buses. Okay, so Dr. Chan, what about those more extreme social distancing measures that we have seen in the past? Uh, I'm thinking of closing schools and uh, working from home. Would you recommend those now? Well, uh, I, I think now it's a bit too late to me. Uh, in fact, as the officials said that, now there are many hidden uh, chains of infection already in the community. So um, I, I would think that uh, uh, we are reactionary in mm. these uh, procedures. And I would think that, of course, it might, it, it would work just like how we tamed the third wave, but we paid the great price mm. and uh, locking down the economy. I think it's so easy for them to stop the uh, incoming source. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that is most important right. because we are not just talking about November. We are talking about the whole winter and uh, spring. Mm-hmm. We need to stop this uh, fifth wave or the fourth wave from growing. So uh, I would think that uh, the social distancing rule, uh, the complete lockdown on the economy is is perhaps, uh, of course, they can do it. But uh, before that, please, the government has to close, uh, I mean, the, the loophole at yes. the border. At the border, that is the loophole. Doctor, how, Doctor, how, how, yeah. Dr. Chan, I, I see that you're a paediatrician. One thing I wanted to ask yes. you about was the effect on the mental health of our, of our youngsters with these uh, prolonged, uh, effective lockdown, stay home, don't go out, and cancel school and so on. Of course, yeah. What, what are you seeing? Yeah. What are you seeing from from the younger patients? Well, of course, a temporary one is not that uh, damaging, but a prolonged one, uh, stopping all those social distancing, would have a bad impact on the development of children. Especially, we need to develop uh, the multi-intelligence of our children, eight areas, and not just the log- logic, uh, mathematical intelligence, not just the linguistic intelligence, but also the interpersonal intelligence, uh, also the kinesthetic uh, intelligence. That would depend on uh, how we have the social contact for them to develop interpersonal uh, uh, intelligence. So I think this is really detrimental to the development of children, especially those with the special education needs. I would think that, say, for those autistic spectrum disorder children, they need to have more social contact to help them to grow and uh, to uh, combat their developmental disorder. But even for ordinary children, I think the uh, lockdown 
down and uh, social distancing to the extreme and to a long period, uh, then uh, it's really not desirable for our children. But of course, when it comes to life and death, so of course uh, we need to do something when it's so uh, serious. And for a temporary uh, measure, I think it's acceptable. But I think uh, that the loophole must be plugged at the origin mm. uh, before we can uh, really say that it would be a temporary measure and not so damaging to the right. children. Because but of the, course, the children home, are the least vulnerable, yeah. aren't they, in terms of the virus? Yes, yes. And, uh, well, not stronger, but uh, the immune system are not so susceptible mm. to the uh, cytokine storm that had happened so often in both adults uh, that, that, that have the uh, fatal outcome. Now, I, I think uh, it is serious for the children uh, because the uh, trend for the past two years are already that the children were preoccupied by playing the online games, by playing with the smartphones, and everybody are watching, uh, just reading the WhatsApp without much personal interaction. Now, uh, it is really, at this moment, if we have too, too, too many uh, uh, periods of such a total lockdown and stop uh, going to school, the children, without the parents' uh, parental good relationship, they will be addicted to those uh, online and internet uh, games or so-called communication, but they are not really so personal communication. So I think we have to minimize these uh, lockdown for the uh, children. Well, we have uh, to uh, minimize uh, yeah, we're also, the side we're, effects. We're also joined now, I think, by somebody who would echo those, those, some of those comments. Uh, Jennifer Lee, who's an ESF parent. Ms. Lee, good morning to you. Hello? Yes. Jennifer Hi, Lee. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much indeed for joining us. I know you've Thanks been you've been uh, organising a, a, a petition uh, to the uh, education secretary on, on on the kindergarten closures, and and maybe you have thoughts on the school uh, cl- primary school closures now uh, as well. Why are you concerned about the kindergarten closures? What's your point? We really uh, we really want the CHP and EDP to consider alternative options before doing a blanket closure as we have done in the last week with the kindergartens and now with primary year one and year three. And we want to see alternatives taken before the schools are shut down like this. Um, it's, it seems to us extreme to shut down the schools for the cold, what is being called URTI now. Uh, we feel that there are so many other options that can be taken on a layered level, closing impacted classes, closing impacted schools and neighborhoods, perhaps allowing parents to choose because there are parents out there who genuinely feel the need to protect their children and they have every right to do so. But we should at least be given the choice whether or not to keep our child at home. Right. Can you tell us some of the other options? Uh, So I mentioned a few. The... First, we would like to see is closing impacted classes. Right, classes rather than the whole school. Right. So classes that are impacted by URTI. And then closing schools that are impacted. So if you have several blocks of classes that are impacted, then go ahead and close that, shut down that school for deep cleaning for, for two weeks to get everyone back into good health. 
and then perhaps closing neighborhoods before closing an entire cohort. We have 170,000 registered kindergarten students. And the decision to close the schools on November 12th was made because of 2,000 pupils. That's 1%. 1% of the children were suffering from colds, and they closed the entire kindergarten system. D- Dr. Chan, do you agree? Yes. What do you think? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think that that is a sensible uh, approach. Uh, just 1% of the population of the kindergarten students being infected by ULTI only. That is non-specific upper respiratory tract infections. They are not influenza. They are not suffering from COVID-19. They are just suffering from from some non-specific, say, rhinovirus or even allergic changes. Uh, I I don't think uh, it is really that serious in a way. And uh, but of course, the government is thinking about the possibility of the children spreading the infection to the elderly who are much more susceptible to these uh, infections. But anyway, uh, it's not yet the COVID-19 eruption in the uh, kindergarten student population. It's only URTI, upper respiratory tract infection. So I I think uh, I agree with uh, the representative from of parents, and uh, we could uh, think about uh, other options uh, for these kindergartens because uh, for the logistics uh, problem, many parents could not stay at home to stay with the children when they cannot go to school because they need arrangement from the companies they are working in. And also, many uh, families have three or two children at home. You just uh, keep one child at home and the other two children still going to schools, then they, they are still open to the infection from the uh, community. So uh, I really think that this is not really an ideal arrangement. I hope the government can think of some uh, uh, practical and good ways of uh, decreasing the uh, social interaction between the children to get the upper respiratory tract infection. But uh, those upper respiratory tract infections are not deadly. So uh, I think uh, we, we really think of ways to plugging the loophole and stop the origin rather than play so many uh, trivial tricks to, to stop the community spread uh, of these upper respiratory tract infections. Jennifer Lee, uh, I mean, people will say, uh, to be honest, kindergarten's not that important. It's not as important as the children's safety and and the welfare and the safety of everybody else in Hong Kong. Of course they will, but it's the easiest to shut down, right, because we don't have people making big money behind us. But, you know, the brain develops 95% of it before the age of six. So don't tell me that it's not important. It's really important. And we, our children here in Hong Kong have been handling one of the longest school closures in the world. They stopped going to school in February, and they were not able to return. They were not part of the group that was invited to return in the spring. So they have been out for eight months, if not longer now. And they're just getting into the swing of things. And now school is shut down again, and they're confused. They don't know why they can't go to school. And we just want the government to make decisions that are guided by science, not by fear, and to consider other 
options before shutting down is, schools. Do you it's think just, that, mm-hmm. you think there's a sense almost that some uh, administrators are making the easy, safe decision rather than t- taking a bit more of a risk and and having, like you've said, a selective approach um, because it's. It's easy. It looks good on paper. Oh, I, I closed all the kindergartens. I closed all the primary schools. I'm going to close the years four to six as well because it's it's safe and easy, and I don't have to take any responsibility. I think it's a choice that the government has made quickly, and I do believe that they're trying to protect our children. But in this new normal, it looks like this is going to persist right into 2021, we really need to look for other options. And we've, in here in Hong Kong, we've repeated the same pattern. We did the same thing in the spring. Everyone thought that we were safe and we went back to our normal social lives. And then another wave came and it looks like another wave is hitting us now. We have to do things differently this time. We can't just keep closing schools. The WHO, the UN, have just recently spoken about school closures as a last resort. And here in Hong Kong, it seems to be the first measure that is taken. That's true. We do, we do seem pretty uh, trigger-happy when it comes to schools. Uh, yeah. But uh, here's some other comments. Uh, uh, Rachel says, in the UK, they keep the schools open. Crazy. My son's old school had six teachers with positive tests of COVID, including the headmistress, so the school was closed. However, in Hong Kong, uh, aunties, and I think he's referring to uh, domestic helpers, uh, aunties don't always wear masks, sit all together on Sundays and put all the little children together. They're not thinking this could be a disaster waiting to happen, like in Singapore. Parents aren't even aware their aunties are doing this, like the children stroke dogs who have to wait till their half an hour phone calls is finished in the car parks. At least at school rules are followed, at least at school rules are followed and all the children are distanced. They're just putting them together all together with no masks. It's crazy, that is uh, say from uh, Rachel. Uh, Neil says, could you please ask the doctors, has there been any research to look at how many people who caught COVID-19 uh, had or had not been vaccinated against the flu? That is from Neil. Um, Dr Chan, do you know anything about that? Uh, well, uh, can you repeat? Yeah, sure. Uh, has there been any research to look at how many people who caught COVID had or had not been vaccinated against the flu? I, I guess it's just an, yeah, yeah. Just the flu vaccination there, there for any protection. Yeah, there have been reports that uh, uh, with the influenza vaccination, less risk of uh, contacting, uh, 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 being infected by the COVID-19 and even infected by COVID-19, it would be less serious. Uh, less damaging, and uh, the fatal outcome would be uh, minimized. Uh, so it is advantageous to receive the influenza vaccination now to prevent a fatal outcome or a serious outbreak of the uh, COVID-19. And uh, so I encourage uh, the citizens, everyone in Hong Kong, in fact, to get the flu vaccine if we have. Uh, but the problem is there's also uh, an inadequate supply of the flu vaccines in Hong Kong. Uh, I, I do think that it is good uh, uh, to have the flu vaccine to what? prevent a serious outcome of the COVID-19. Dr. Chen, that's a very important point. We we have the flu uh, vaccine every year. Why yes. on earth haven't we, haven't we ordered enough? Uh, well, because the whole world has been asking for the flu vaccines. Again, just uh, as I said before, 
Hong Kong is not in the first priority in the supply of the flu vaccines. They have bigger markets elsewhere. And uh, so this year, we already have uh, a uh, bigger import of those uh, flu vaccines. Still, it's just only about 2 million vaccines. And, uh, uh, well, there have been news that uh, many doctors have complained that they don't have the uh, supply of the vaccine they ask for. Uh, so uh, I think, uh, well, Hong Kong is not uh, uh, bargaining uh, with the with full force to ask for more flu vaccines. Okay, well, many thanks for, for joining us, uh, Dr. Chan Alvin Chan, a paediatrician, council member of the Hong Kong Medical Association, and many thanks to uh, Jennifer Lee, an ESF parent. Uh, Jay says, were the people at the dance schools wearing shoes and no masks because drop-its go down? Everybody's shoes has droplets on, and of course we touch them with our fingers and then we touch uh, our faces. And uh, John says, everyone should be checked, tested and quarantined coming to Hong Kong. No use giving exemptions for certain high so-called officials and border crossings. Look at Taiwan. They did good. That is from John. Uh, just before we go, some uh, emails relating to uh, other issues and uh, Friday's programme. Uh, Andrew Kay says, on the US elections, does any agency track how much money has been spent on the presidential election? Yes, they do. Including travel, media advertising, lawyers, etc. Relative to, say, pandemic support. I would love to see that number. Whatever the amount, whatever the amount I would rate it as a, I would rate it as a waste of money. And a couple of comments uh, from Bowen. We didn't manage to get this in before the uh, end of the programme on, on Friday, but uh, in relation to uh, what Andrew Leung was saying uh, then, Bowen says, Andrew Leung has been painting a picture that Beijing has been watching Hong Kong with its arms folded until they could watch no longer and have to intervene. The truth is that the Hong Kong government has been carrying out certain policies given to them to implement by Beijing, for example, co-location, national education, the use of returning officers to screen out LegCo candidates, and it's Hong Kong who have been watching the situation with folded arms until they can tolerate no longer and took action as they did last year with results that no one wishes to see, it might be added. And when they have acted, as is inevitable, they are accused of not accepting Beijing's authority and so on. This is really a very badly scripted chain of events, especially Andrew Lung's script, and everyone can see it. That comes uh, from Bowen. And Bowen uh, also uh, says, I hope that in reading out my or other listeners' messages in future, Danny can be more professional when the names of legal cases are mentioned. He gives some examples. And he says, only three things need to be made available to listeners, the name the case, the year of the case, and the jurisdiction where the case occurred. Uh, in the case of my email this morning, it's on Friday, Danny mentioned one was an American, another Canadian case, but the names, cases' names and relevant years were omitted. I understand the host is always pressed for time, and reading out, but reading out the names and years of the two cases would only have taken six seconds. On balance, I believe that to be far outweighed by the benefit to the public. That comes from, from uh, Bowen. Thank you very much indeed, once again, uh, Bowen, for that. Mike, thank you. Ah. Virus every Monday. Yes. <laughs> you, you get it, you get it. Because I we, get it, yeah. We, we do it because we don't know what's going to happen over the weekend. So we can. it's a topic we can schedule uh, safe in the knowledge that there will be something to talk about. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll be back tomorrow, as ever. The weather before we go, it's going to be mainly cloudy. A couple of light rain patches uh, in the morning today. Sunny period in the afternoon with temperatures up to 25 degrees. 23 degrees, the latest readings now, and the relative humidity is at 80%.
The government is seeking public views on proposed amendments to the Waterworks Ordinance, which includes strengthening control of plumbing materials and works to further safeguard drinking water safety, as well as enabling the introduction of a mandatory water efficiency labelling scheme for plumbing fixtures and water-consuming devices. Ways to prevent fresh water loss in private communal water mains will also be explored. The consultation will end on February 3rd, 2021. Visit the Water Supplies Department's website for details. 9.32, the news with Pierre Tremblay. Pro-democracy activists Joshua Wong, Agnes Chow and Ivan Lam say they are prepared to be jailed ahead of their court appearance related to a major protest outside the police headquarters on June the 21st last year. After consulting lawyers, Mr. Wong and Mr. Lam have decided to follow Ms. Zhao's suit in pleading guilty to inciting others to participate in an unauthorized assembly. Experts are warning that the government needs to do more to stem the fourth wave of coronavirus infections in the city. Professor Benjamin Cowling, an epidemiologist with the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health, urged the government to consider working at home measures, as well as closing bars, karaoke's, leisure facilities and gyms, and tightening restrictions for restaurants. Chancellor Merkel of Germany said she's worried that nothing has been done to give poor countries access to coronavirus vaccines, in spite of promises of help from the world's biggest economies. She was speaking after attending the G20 summit at which she and fellow leaders committed themselves to the affordable and fair distribution of vaccines. More news at 10. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. Not too bad at all. Good morning. Even the Oxford Scottish. Hello. You never face chat with me. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is the Morning Brew. Good morning. Good morning to you. Welcome to a brand new week here on Morning Brew. Well, we're going to begin as usual with the latest rugby from Robbie McRobbie, HK Rugby CEO. After 10.30, it's Tracy Quan time. She's going to talk about targeted closures in New York and some of the associated problems they're causing due to things being in different colour zones or maybe between two, etc. After 11.30 today, going to find out about another COVID year artistic project. Very cool one. This time, I'm going to chat with actor and producer Nick Atkinson. He's spent the last few months putting together an online platform containing original radio drama, The Proscenium. That's what it's called. His maiden project is a play called Helt Texas by San Francisco-based playwright Alan Olenichak. He's also going to be joining us from the States. Today, of course, the obvious extra angle here is people not actually being able to gather in person, so they had to use what's called a VoIP, that's a voice over IP, to record. So loads of things to chat about with Nick. (laughs) 